Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Oh, let's go into the Word. Let's go into the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 21. And I'm going to read this. It's a familiar passage. Uh, I'm going to read this in your hearing. Izzy, you can stay with me just for a little bit. Uh, the Bible says, For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army. And David let his, left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. It shall be that man, it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? For he is the, the uncircumcised Philistine and he should defy the arm, that he should defy. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in a manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you have come down here to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there, is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and sent for him. Then verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. And for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the father's sheep. With a, when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. 
verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on him a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a cloak of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Turn to your neighbor and say, take it off. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for, that he chose for himself he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and he, he came, so excuse me, so the Philistine came and he began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. Turn to your neighbor and say, the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth so David prevailed so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him but there was no sword in the hand of David this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Father, as we open your word, open our hearts in Jesus' name. Let everybody who believes say amen. Amen. This afternoon, I just want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you from the title, How to Handle Adversity. How to Handle Adversity. Anybody in here experiencing any adversity in their life right about now? Nobody? Mercy, y'all are good. I'm sure on some level, all of us, whether it's small or large, are experiencing some degree of adversity, some degree of opposition, some degree of frustration, some degree of annoyance, some degree of pain in the pain. And what I've experienced in my own life is that one of the guarantees of life is that 
if you live long enough, you will have adversity. Things will happen, things will arise, situations will come up, and you will find yourself between the proverbial rock and hard place. In fact, John in chapter 16, verse 33 says, in this world, you will have tribulation. I actually like how the New Living Translation says it. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. That there will be situations and circumstances that arise that will cause you trouble and frustration. Like if you live long enough, you will go through some things. In fact, um, he says it in another place, John chapter 10, verse 10. He says that we actually face an enemy, a, a, a roaring lion, the devil, an adversary. And he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That there is someone out there whose sole intention and purpose for life is to frustrate the plan of God for your life. Now, as I was walking through this and studying this, I began to realize that there are different types of adversity. There is the regular adversity that you and I go through on every single day. And that's the adversity where, you know, maybe you forgot to put gas in your car the night before and now you've got to drive down that demonic 91. It's still demonic. And you are out of gas and you're running late for work. And so you feel like, oh no, my car broke down, it's out of gas, and now you have to figure out a way to get gas. That is adversity. That's trouble. That, that's some things that we have to deal with. Or maybe it is you didn't do your budget the right way and you somehow you overspent and when you swiped your card, it was declined. That too is a level of adversity that I'm sure all of us in some degree have experienced from time to time. But then there's another level of adversity, which I call spiritual adversity. And spiritual adversity is when you face challenges and situations that are a part of adversity, but their, their purpose is not just to frustrate you, but the purpose of spiritual adversity is to frustrate the plan of God in your life. Do I have a witness here? It's not just to give you a headache or to make you frustrated or give you a hard time, but in fact, the purpose of spiritual adversity is in fact to frustrate what God is trying to do in your life. And so you can look throughout the word of God and we see time and time again where men and women have experienced spiritual adversity. It goes all the way back to what our very first parents, Adam and Eve, experienced in the garden where Adam and Eve encountered the serpent and they took up the fruit and they ate the fruit and in that moment, they, they recognized that they were naked without, and, and they were ashamed and they took fig leaves and they slowed themselves. And from there, we haven't been the same. In that moment, they experienced a level and a degree of adversity. But if you fast forward, there's also situations where, uh, just in Genesis, I think it's chapter five, where, where, where Abel was trying to worship and Cain opposed him. And, and the Bible tells us that because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and did not accept Cain's sacrifice, that Cain got upset at his brother and actually killed his brother. That would be a type of adversity. Or maybe when Moses was encountering Pharaoh and Moses was trying to let the people go and Pharaoh didn't want to let the people go and Moses experienced adversity. Or, I mean, even the main character of the scriptures, Jesus, experienced adversity from Herod and from Pilate and from the Pharisees and from the Sadducees and from everyone who pretty much was around during that time opposed him on some level. Jesus experienced adversity. And so we can reason that if Adam and Eve experienced adversity and, and Abel experience adversity and Moses experience adversity and and Jesus experience adversity then you and I most likely in this life will also experience adversity do I have a witness in the house it's gonna happen turn to your neighbor say it's gonna happen 
Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. In fact, one of the individuals who wrote most of the New Testament, I love, and I've used this text before, I love how he describes the situation of the adversity that he was going through. It's actually the Apostle Paul. And Paul, if you don't know who he is, he was a man who was called by God. His name was Saul. God called him, changed his name to Paul, and said, you know what, you used to persecute the children of of, of my children, but now I want you to go out and to preach the gospel. So he started preaching the gospel, and every step along the way, Paul, who was Saul, experienced adversity. And he actually, Ricky, takes time and describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. I just want to read this for you, and I've read it before, but it just blows my mind every time I read it. This is what he says. He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 30 39 lashes. Now that's not just a spanking. That's actually a beating with lashes. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night in a day adrift at sea. He says, I have, faced tra- I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not, he says. I have worked hard and long enduring many sleepless nights I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm then besides all of this I have the daily burden of my concern for all of the churches now I don't know what you just heard when I just read that but what I hear is a man who is going through a lot of adversity has anyone in the house ever been shipwrecked anybody in the house ever been uh, 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 beaten with lashes 39 times anyone ever been beaten with rods. Well, let me not say being with rods. Some of us, we grew up in households where they use rods. Uh, has, anyone, has anyone ever gone day and night and without food and hunger and in pain and not knowing where your next meal is coming from, not knowing where your next bed is going to be? Has anyone ever gone through that? What Paul is trying to describe to us is like, listen, since I became a Christian, I've gone through some stuff. I've gone through some adversity. And what's interesting about this is that it almost feels as though that when you become a Christian and you make the decision to truly follow God, that adversity becomes all the more inevitable. Like we know that in this life, we're just going to go through some things just because we're going through some things, right? Whether you're a Christian or not. The Bible talks about how it rains on the just and on the unjust. The sun comes up on the just and on the unjust. That no matter who you are, what you believe, what your faith tradition, what your background, who you believe God is or is not, all of us will have flat tires from time to time. All of us will have retirement issues, back pain, neck pain, marital issues, no matter what's going on in your life. But what Paul is trying to describe to us, it is almost as if he's saying that, but but. When you make a decision to truly give God your entire life, to truly surrender, when you make a decision to go down into the watery grave and get baptized, that it seems like something happens. And because you are now signing up and enrolling in the Lord's army, the devil is alerted to now the activity that is taking place in your life, and he will unleash all of hell to try to oppose you. You'll experience it. Just random stuff will start happening throughout your day that never happened before. It's not just adversity. It is spiritual adversity. And the more you decide to follow Christ, the more adversity you will begin to experience in your life. Because ain't no adversity like spiritual adversity. 
Because spiritual adversity, Lord have mercy, it just don't stop. It just goes on and on. And the purpose, though, of spiritual adversity is to discourage you, say discourage. To prevent you, say prevent. To somehow persuade you to no longer follow the path of righteousness. Spiritual adversity is designed to frustrate the purpose of God in your life. It is designed to get you to no longer trust the God that you once trusted. That is the purpose of spiritual adversity. The devil is trying to somehow loosen your grip on Christ. And so he will send things that will dance on your last nerve to somehow convince you that it's not worth following God. Uh, I want to focus in on David just for a moment because I think that David is a prime example of someone who went through some spiritual adversity. I don't want anyone to think that like following Christ is just a hard road. No, it's not a hard road. You will have some good days, but you will also have some trouble. And I love how David frames it in Psalms 23. In Psalms 23, and if you got it, we're going to put it on the screen. I love how David frames it. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. One of my favorite passages. The Lord is my shepherd. You all know this one? The Lord is my shepherd, he says, I shall not want. I love this. He's like, the Lord is the one who takes care of me. He is my shepherd. He is my God. I shall not want. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I mean, look at, look at the care of God. That he doesn't, he doesn't allow him to lie down in brown pastures, in dry pastures, in, in parched pastures. He doesn't allow him to lie down in pastures that are characterized by famine and drought. He says, he, he makes me to lie down in, in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of what? Of righteousness. I love how David frames it. He's like, listen, if you follow God, trust God will lead you in good in, in a good in a good in a good path. He will lead you to, to green pastures. He will lead you beside still waters. He will do everything he can to bring restoration to your soul. That's the type of God that we serve, that you don't have to worry about the future when you follow God, because God has it under control. You don't have to worry about your next meal because God has it under control. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because God has it under control. In fact, Jesus tells us, don't worry about tomorrow. That's what people who don't believe in me do. They worry about the next day and the day after. He says, but you know what? Just seek me today and I'll take care of all of your needs. And so David is really reiterating and, and helping to illustrate this for us. He says, listen, that when you follow God, he's like, listen, he will lead you down. He will make you to lie down in green pastures. He will lead you beside still waters. He will restore your soul. He will lead you in the paths of righteousness. But then David does something that is very interesting, uh, Brother Morgan. He does something that's very interesting. David begins to then transition from all of these fine places that God will lead you, you know, green pastures, still waters, restore your soul, pass the righteousness. And David begins to then transition in verse four. And he says, you know what? But you're also going to go through some things because in verse four, he says, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now this, as I was studying this week, this really blew my mind because it was almost as if David was saying, you know what? God's going to lead you down the path of righteousness, 
But along the path of righteousness, there are some valleys. Along the path of righteousness, there are some shadows. Along the path of righteousness, you will encounter some situations where you feel like your life is on the line. That this path of righteousness is not just green pastures. This path of righteousness is not just still waters. This path of righteousness is just not a restoration of your soul. This path of righteousness will actually lead you from time to time. You will experience some valleys that are characterized by death. But David doesn't stop there. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I know you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Which lets me know that, hold on, in verse, in verse, in verse three, you just told me that he leads you in the path of righteousness. Now in verse six, you're telling me, and verse five, you're telling me that I'm also going to find myself um, in the presence of my enemies. Which David is trying to let us know that, yes, when you follow God, there are green pastures and there is a restore restoration of your soul and there is still waters, but there is also shadows and there are also enemies. Do I have a witness in the house? that you will go through some stuff. However, because you are following God, you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to stress about it. You don't need to fret about it. You don't need to give it too much of your time and your attention and your energy and any of your, uh, any of your, 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 your cognitive power because, because David tells us that, listen, I will be with you. God will lead you. His, his rod, his staff will be with you when you're facing these shadows. His, he will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Though your enemies are there, God is also there. So you don't got to worry about it when you follow God. That he is with you. I want you to know that even when you follow God as closely as possible, you're waking up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., spending time in his presence. You're on the prayer line Monday through Friday. You're at church and Sabbath school and part of life groups. Even when you do all of those things, shadows and enemies will still be present. Even when you make a decision for God to be your best friend and for him to be your intimate partner, shadows and enemies will still be present. And that the path that God wants each and every one of you to walk down, which we call the path of righteousness, it is a path that walks through shadows and enemies. The path of righteousness is a path that walks through some stuff. And the reason being is because the path of righteousness is about advancement. Say advancement. You are growing in your walk with God. You are growing in your relationship with God. You are growing in your time with God. You are advancing spiritually. And anytime there is advancement in your spiritual life, there is also opposition in your spiritual life. Advancement does not happen without opposition. They happen simultaneously. That as you advance, you experience opposition and you experience adversity. The question that we want to answer today, though, is how do you handle adversity while you are 
advancing. Because some of us, I believe, have begun to advance in our walk with God. But when we experience opposition and when we experience adversity, we resort back to doing things the way that we used to do things. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Or can none of you all remember your former self? Some of y'all still living in your former self. Come on now up in here. That, 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 that some of us, you know, there's a recent song that uh, a popular artist just put out. It, the name, I don't know the name of the song, but the, the key lyrics of the song is, uh, try Jesus, don't try me, because I will fight. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard that song? Has, yeah, it's, it's a popular song that just came out. Uh, it, I was singing, but Ricky, no, that's not my gift. It says, it says try Jesus, don't try me, because I throw hands. It's a real song. It's a real song. It says, it says, uh, uh, I, I, I will lose my cool on you. Like if you, if you step to my family, if you cross me, like we will take this outside, right? Uh, some of us, we have that mentality where we're saying, you know, well, listen, try Jesus all you want, but if you test me, we going to fight. And, and essentially what I want to do is I want to, I want to challenge you that when you face adversity and someone is trying you and someone is testing you and someone is pushing you, how do you respond to that opposition? And if you are an individual who resorts back to the way that you used to do things, but we'll just call it in the streets, we'll just call it in the flesh, then I just want to encourage you that there might just be room, possibility, some space for you to grow in how you deal with adversity. So, 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 so what do you do when your back is against the wall and someone's getting on your nerves? What do you do when you find that there's that one person who just gets under your skin? What do you do when someone is just saying things about you that you don't believe to be true? What do you do when you find yourself in situations and circumstances that it feels as though are, are unjust and uncalled for and, 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 and not right? How do you respond? And what I want to suggest to you is that rather than reverting back to how you used to handle things, that the way you do things moving forward is that you stick to the plan. Say stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. So let's talk about this thing. Let's talk about this thing. So, so we just read in, in, in 1 Samuel uh, that, that, that David found himself facing Goliath. And we're not going to rehash it. Many of you may be familiar with that passage. He finds himself facing Goliath. Goliath is the epitome of, advers ad of adversity and opposition. Goliath represents everything in your life that is opposing the will and the purpose of God. Goliath is that little, that little pebble in your shoe that, is, that, that you feel every time you walk. Goliath is that person you live with who doesn't believe in God and who's always doing those things to get under your skin. Goliath is that co-worker that you work with who just refuses to keep this, their hands to themselves and is always about gossiping and telling people other people's business. Goliath is that person in your world that just gets on your last nerve. Do you have any Goliaths in, in your life right now? Anybody? Anybody? Right, right. Goliath might not even be a person. Goliath might be a situation. Goliath might be the IRS. Goliath might be your landlord. It might be the mortgage company, right? Goliath might be COVID. It's not a person. It's a situation or a circumstance that you find yourself in. Goliath represents anything in your life that opposes the purposes of God from your life. Now, what's, what do we easily try to do is we try to characterize Goliath as being anti-God. 
or that Goliath is the devil or that Goliath is the enemy. And on some level that might be true, but I believe that for most of us, our Goliaths are there strategically placed by God because God is trying to advance us. Okay, you're not with me in here. You are on a path of righteousness. This is not a smooth path. It's not an easy path. It's not a straight path. This is a path that has highs and lows. It has curves. It has valleys and mountaintops. This is a path that sometimes will scorch you because the sun is real hot. hot. Sometimes this path will pour rain upon you and you'll find yourself drenched. This path of righteousness is a path that God has called all of us on because God is trying to, to, to move us somewhere. And a part of this path are, is opposition that has come, that is strategically placed there because God is trying to make us stronger so so when you encounter adversity on a broad sense what I want you to do is I want you to stick to the plan well what's the plan thank you for asking the first thing that you do when you encounter adversity is you embrace humility turn to your neighbor and say humility 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 some of us, when we encounter adversity, we stand up and we're ready to fight. We're ready to go blow to blow. Like, listen, I told you to try Jesus. Don't try me because I will fight. But when you face adversity, and I'm not even talking about fight physically. I mean, some of us are ready to throw hands, but others of us are ready to throw words. I might not put my hands on you, but I'm going to put my words all up over you. And I will cuss you out in the name of Jesus up and all the way down. And the first part of the plan of dealing with adversity is not to throw hands. It's not to throw words. It is to embrace humility. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 17 where David steps and he sees the situation. And Goliath is yapping and popping off and disrespecting the people of God. And David shows up and David's just like, yo, what's going on? What's happening? And immediately David's brother's like, why'd you come down here? What, you, you, you're just down here just to make fun of us. You're just down here just to look and to, and to scoff. You're not really down here to help. And David's like, listen, I, I, I don't know why you're mad at me. Like, I just showed up. I don't got nothing to do with this. But then David, then he comes to Saul. And I love what he says to Saul. Let me first say what he doesn't say to Saul. He doesn't show up to the king of Israel and say, why are you hiding in your tent? He doesn't go to the king of Israel and say, don't you know who you serve? You should be better than this. He doesn't go to the king and say, aren't you the leader of these people and these people are following you? Like, why haven't you dealt with this yet? He doesn't go to the king and start accusing the king of what he is or is not doing based off of David's perspective. See, many of us are too quick to rush to judgment on other people because we have not taken time to hear and to be informed by their perspective. We're just making judgments based on our own perspective. And for many of us, our perspective is rooted in our, in our baggage and our history and our own triggers. And so I dated someone in the past who was no good and they stepped out on me. And now I'm starting to see some similar uh, uh, things manifest in your life. And I'm just going to loop you into that person. As opposed to truly trying to inquire and get to understand. David doesn't do that. The first thing David does is David comes and David says, verse 32, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. 
I will go and fight him. I love David's response. He's not accusatory. He's not judging. He's like, listen, I know there's a lot going on. Listen, you need someone to serve? I'll serve. I'm not going to cast judgment. I'm not going to say what y'all should have been doing. Y'all been out here for 40 days and 40 nights listening to this dude disrespect the, the most high. I'm not going to say nothing about it. Just let you know I'm here and I'm willing to serve if you want someone to serve. The first thing you do when you, embrace, when you, when you face adversity is you embrace humility. Say it with me again. Humility. Humility. Humility says it's not about me. This ain't about me. I know you might, you're trying to make it about me, but it ain't about me. It has everything to do with God. This adversity that I'm experiencing, this is just someone who or something or some situation or some circumstance who's trying to prevent me from experiencing the purposes of God in my life. I, I am not going to get upset. I'm not going to get frustrated. I am going to, in this moment, embrace humility. And I'm going to approach the situation seeking to understand, seeking to gain perspective. Uh, Stephen Covey, uh, he's not a biblical author. Uh, he is uh, kind of like a self self-help guru and what Stephen Covey says in his famous book seven habits to highly effective say effective seven habits to highly effective people the first not the first but one of those habits Jeremiah is to seek first to understand then to be understood that when you face adversity if you want to overcome that adversity the first thing you must do is seek first to understand let me understand your perspective. Some of y'all think I'm giving marriage advice. I'm just talking. <laughs> the first thing you want to do is understand. Help me understand your perspective. Help me understand what you were thinking. Help me understand how you came to this conclusion. Like, I'm not going to pass judgment. I'm not going to throw stones. I'm not going to, you know, create condemnation. No, I just, I sincerely and genuinely and sincerely and genuinely and sincerely and genuinely and sincerely and genuinely want to understand. So help me understand. So David comes, he surveys the land. He says, you know what? Let me embrace humility and be willing to say, you know what, king? Whatever you need, I got you. As a leader, and many of you all are leaders, whether it's in your home or whether on your job, but as a leader, the staff that I have been privileged to work with, they know more than anything that the, one of the things that is most valuable to me is when someone says, what do you need? I got you. What do you need? I got you. So when you face, face adversity, stick to the plan, not the old plan, the new plan, which says I am going to embrace, step number one, I'm going to embrace humility. Say it one more time with me, humility. The second thing that you do when you face adversity is number one, you embrace humility the second thing that I want you to do is I want you to embrace patience. Patience. Uh, uh, humility says it's not about me. Patience says, I'll wait. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say, I'll wait? Especially if you're sitting next to someone you're married to. Just say, just look at him and say, I'll wait. <laughs> it's all good. And it's not one of those, it's not one of those sarcastic I'll wait, you know. <laughs> like your, your wife is taking forever to get ready. Like you stand by the bathroom and say, I'll wait. No, it's not one of them. It's not one of one. It, it's one of those sincere, patient, it's one of those sincere, patient responses where you're saying, you know what? I'm good. You embrace patience. Now, the key to embracing patience is embracing prayer. Because you cannot, 
when you're facing spiritual adversity, have patience if you are not embracing prayer. Let me say it a little bit differently. Ricky, it's very hard to be impatient when you are praying. It's very hard to be impatient. I mean, how do you look coming up out of prayer and still being impatient? <laughs> like, weren't you just praying? And there's no patience for anybody? It's very hard because what prayer does is prayer just has this soothing effect upon your heart. Because prayer says, you know what? I'm just going to turn it over to Jesus. There's another song, turn it over to Jesus. Turn it over to Jesus. Turn it over to Jesus and you can, anyone know it? Oh, come on now, saints. You can smile. Oh, Ricky, man, we got to teach them some new songs, brother. You can smile the rest of your days because prayer says, you know what? I am just going to exhale this situation into God's care. And I'm going to recognize that it is God who fights my battles. Some of us, though, we have a Peter anointing. When Peter, Mark, experienced adversity, the soldiers came in Matthew 26 to take Jesus captive. And if you know about that story, what was Jesus trying to get Peter to do for the entire night? Pray. He said, Peter, just come pray with me. Peter, just come pray with me. Peter, just come pray with me. And every time Jesus would come to Peter, Peter, just come pray with me. Peter would be like, okay, I got you, God, I got you, got you. But then he would fall asleep. Jesus would come back, Peter, just come pray with me. And then he would fall asleep. Peter, come pray with me. And then he would fall asleep. And so on, on, on three or four different occasions, Jesus was calling Peter to come pray with him and Peter kept falling asleep. So he's not praying. And then when Peter wakes up and the soldiers are coming in Matthew 26, the first thing that Peter does is what? Takes out his sword and cuts off the soldier's ear. Is it possible that Peter's response to the adversity in that moment was directly connected to the fact that he was not praying the night before? So, so, so step number one is we have to embrace humility. Step number two is we have to embrace patience. But what I want you to understand is that your ability to be patient in the face of opposition is directly correlated to how much you're praying. And if you're not praying, don't be surprised when you don't have patience. Now, I'm not talking about one of those David prayers where you go into your prayer closet and you're like, God, kill him. God, take him out. Make my enemy my footstool, God. I'm not talking about one of them David prayers. No, 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 no. I'm talking about one of those Job prayers. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. I'm talking about one of those Jesus prayers where Jesus is like, listen, though they, uh, he says, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That we have to embrace prayer. Now, I want to say something to you, and I want you to catch this. Is that your ability to handle adversity and opposition is directly related to the capabilities that you have inside of you. Okay, okay, I, I may have said that the wrong way, so let me, let me say it again. The effect that opposition has on your life is directly equal to the degree of your internal capacity to deal with that opposition. Okay, some of y'all are still not with me. Okay, C could you help me, JB? JB, come help me, help me, help me real quick. Uh, help me, just come on, come on up here. 
Uh, JB is a strong man, right? You a strong man? Yes, sir. He's a strong man. Okay. Ricky, can you just give me the, give me the 20? Give me, give me the 20. Yeah, yeah, Qu- quickly. Uh, J- JB's, JB's ability to handle adversity is directly related to his internal capability to deal with it. So, hand, hand this to JB. Hand this to JB. So this, this, this is just a 20-pound dumbbell, and this represents um, adversity. Say adversity. JB's ability to lift this 20 pound, just set it down by your side. No, 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 right there, right. His ability to lift this 20 pound adversity is directly related to what's going on in here. Y'all with me in here? Okay, so can you just curl that for me one time? Okay, so it's very clear, it's very clear that he has something going on in here. And because he has something going on in here, he is able to handle the adversity of lifting this weight that has been thrown upon him. Hand me the next one. Uh, uh, the, 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 the 40, the 40. Okay. Just set, it, just set it right there. Set it right there. Set it right there. Listen, no, no, hold, hold the 20. Now, now, he did well with the 20. Amen, somebody. He did well. He did well. Um... It shows that he has some internal capability. But this is what God does because all of us are on the path of what? Of righteousness. And in the path of righteousness, there is opposition and adversity. And the purpose of the opposition and adversity is to make us stronger, right? Uh, And so he did well with the 20. But then once God sees that, oh, okay, he's able to handle some 20s, what God will do is not intentionally send you opposition, but he will allow certain circumstances to happen to you. Come on, do I got a witness in the house, right? So just set those down. Uh, and he will say, oh, ma'am, have you tried my servant JB? For he is perfect and upright in all of his ways, and he can easily handle 20s. And the double says, well, okay, if he can handle 20s, let's just double it a little bit and see if he can handle the 40s. And so, and so pick that up there for me, JB. Okay. Okay, 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 all right, it's not bad, it's not bad, okay, just, just curl that one time for me, okay, so what this is the testament of is JB's ability to handle the 40s pound weight of adversity is directly connected to what's going on in here, I'm preaching, are y'all staying with me? Our ability to handle adversity has everything to do with how strong internally we are. Do do that one more time for me. Okay, you said that one down, said that one down. He's good. And we would say, man, you know what, JB's strong. He's a strong man. He loves the Lord. You know, he's gone through some adversity in his life, some challenges in different areas of his life. And yet God has prepared him to deal with. So he shouldn't get upset. He shouldn't walk away because he knows that the path of righteousness is littered with adversity. And the way that you embrace, the way that you overcome and handle adversity is not, not with pride, right? He picks this up with pride and he's going to pull a muscle right? It's, not with, it's with humility, but it's also recognizing I have to be patient and I must be prayerful. And the more patient and prayerful I am, it's building something inside of me. It's building my internal capacity to lift heavy weight. Are y'all with me in here? Yeah. 
That's why there's some people we can see them going through a hard time and we look at them and we say, man, how is it that they're able to handle? They're going through trouble in their job and their marriage and their family with their kids. And it seems as though they still have the joy of the Lord. It seems as though they are still, they are still high on the Holy Ghost. It seems as though that nothing they're going through is really affecting them. It's because they have been spending time in their quiet place with God. And God has been building their soul and preparing them to handle Whatever adversity comes their way. Help me, Ricky. But it gets heavier. Just, just set those. God says, I'm not going to double it from 40 to 80. Let me just, uh, uh, just add them together and give you 60 pounds. And so JB finds himself. Go on, pick that up for me, JB. He finds himself. He finds himself with, 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 uh, with weight. And it appears as though this weight is going to crush him. But he's been in his prayer closet. And he's spending time with God. Now I just said that the, your ability to handle the adversity is directly connected to what's going on internally. Right? And so the adversity comes. So JB, man, lift, lift it, lift it, curl it, curl it, curl it. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Just hold on to it. Can you hold it? Can you hold it? Okay. And so, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me, let me, let me. Yeah, no, no, just set it down here. Just set it down there. Just set it down. No. So, so, adversity is going to come. There are some of us in here where the 20s are taking us out. I mean, it ain't like you just went through a divorce. It ain't like, like your child just emptied the bank account. It ain't like someone just lied on you, you lost your job. You just had a flat tire and, you lo- and your whole day ruined. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, I mean, and flat tires can be, can be bad, but it's, it's not like the world is ending. But for some of us, it's clear from what, how we respond to situations that something is wrong inside of us. It's a reflection that we, as much as we might come to church and love God, if we are not spending time in our personal prayer closet developing the patience and the fortitude, then the adversity will crush us. Some of us can handle the 20s. And so God brings more weight. He brings the 40s. And we can kind of handle the 40s. And then more weight comes. And it goes from being a flat tire to losing a job to the death of a child and all types of drama and all types of hell is laid on our back. And what I want you to know now is that, that when Christ is working in your life on this path of righteousness, one promise that we have is that God will never put more on you than you could bear. So if God has you holding the weight of adversity that's 60 pounds, he knows that you actually are able to lift that. Now, what's crazy about the gospel is that some of us, we feel like, okay, it's something I have to do. I have to do it. I need to be strong enough. But when you truly understand the gospel, none of us in here are ever prepared to handle the weight of adversity that the devil wants to bring to us. But it is God who comes alongside of us and while we are holding, pick up the 60 for me again. While we are holding and we feel like, God, this is going to crush me. This is not going to work for me. God says, Jake, I got you. It, w- it was never intended for you to carry it on your own. I got you. And so we will lift this, we will lift this thing together. Yeah, 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 yeah
listen, listen, we, we will lift this thing together. As you depend and trust and rely on me, God says, my, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So when you face adversity, number one, you approach adversity with humility, recognizing, you know what? It's not about me. It's about God. It's about what God is trying to do. Number two, you, you, you embrace, you face adversity with patience, recognizing that, you know what? It's, it, 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 it may take a while. It, 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 may, it may get on my nerves, but I'm not going to respond the way I used to respond. I'm going to be patient in this situation. The third thing, thank you, JB. The third thing you do when you face adversity, and the last thing, is you embrace and you face adversity with hope. With hope. Hope says, David finds himself before the Philistines. And the Philistine Goliath comes to him and says, Who are you this dog? You, you come to me with sticks. I'm going to feed your, 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 your body to the birds of the air. And, 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 and David's response is you come to me with sword and spear verse 45 but i come to you in the name of the lord of the heavens armies the god of the armies of israel whom you have defied today the lord will conquer you and i will kill you and cut off your head and then i will give the bodies of the men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a god in israel what what, what david demonstrates for us in that moment is that when you face adversity you must face adversity knowing that you are not facing it alone you are not facing it alone. But there is a God who is facing it with you. Every step of the way, he is with you. Every step of the way. And so you can look at adversity and you can say, oh, you thought you were going to have me. You thought this was going to ruin my day. You thought this was going to ruin my week. You thought this was going to ruin my month. You thought this was going to ruin my life. But I serve a God. And my God says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And what, and what I'm going through right now, that nothing will, will, will detract. Nothing will take away from the purposes and the plan of God for my life. You face adversity with hope. What, is hope, what does hope look like? Hope is not blind optimism. No, 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 no. Hope is not blind optimism. Hope is actually rooted in the promise of God. So hope doesn't just say, well, you know, I just, this situation happened and I'm just, I'm just going to hope and pray that it works out. No, hope is not blind optimism. Hope says, this is what God's promise says. God's promise says, I am his child. God's promise says that, that, that I will never be forsaken. God's promise says that the righteous will never go hungry. God's promise says that my God shall supply all of my needs. God's promise says that he will fight my battles for me. God's promise says that I am the head and not the tail. God's promise says that, that, that greater is he that's in me. These are God's promises. So when I face adversity, I am coming from a place of humility and patience, but I'm also coming from from a place of hope. How do we know David truly had the confidence while everyone else was running from a Goliath? What made David confident that he could face Goliath? Some would say, well, it was because he faced a lion and a bear. And that when he faced this lion and bear, 
that gave him the confidence to go forward and face Goliath. And there may be some of that. I think God sent the lion as a 20-pound adversity and he sent the bear as a 40-pound adversity because he knew that one day David was going to face some 60-pound adversity. But there's something greater than just that. If you look at David's response to both Saul and to both Goliath, it tells you the source of his confidence. On both occasions, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine. Why would David say, uh, what, what does the, the status of his genitalia have to do with anything? And yet David was very clear. He didn't just say, who is this Philistine? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And what David was doing in that moment is he was hearkening back to the promise of God. Because if you know anything about Bible history, what you'll know is that way back in Genesis in chapter 21, 22, God made a promise to Abraham. And God said, Abraham, if you are circumcised, you're going to enter into covenant relationship with me. And in this relationship, I will give you everything that you see. Canaan will be yours. The land will be yours. Your descendants will be as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. Dave, uh, Abraham, with you in relationship, I will, your people and the generations to come after you will always prosper. And the sign of that relationship is circumcision. And so when David steps to Goliath and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What David is doing is he's reminding himself and he's reminding the children of Israel and he's reminding Saul that the person that you are facing is not a part of the promise. Which means the person you're facing does not have God on their side. Therefore, you should not be afraid. I don't care how big they are. I don't care how wide they are. I don't care how loud they talk. God is not on their side because they are not in covenant. They are uncircumcised. And David steps to Goliath and he says, you, you uncircumcised Philistine, today I will give your carcass to the birds of the air and all of the world will know that there is a God in Israel. Not because I said it, but because I am a part of the promise. Friends of mine, you are a part of the promise. And that when you face adversity, you face it with an acute awareness that this adversity has not come to destroy me. This adversity is actually on the path of righteousness. And that God, for whatever reason in his wisdom, has allowed this adversity to come so that I can get stronger. So how do you handle adversity? With humility, with patience, and with hope with humility, with patience, and with hope. With humility, with patience, and with hope. And the Bible tells us in Samuel 17, he says, verse 50. Can we put that one on the screen, Keith? Samuel 17, verse 17. Chapter 17, verse 50. I want you to read it with me. 
So David prevailed. So David prevailed. Whatever you are facing today, God wants you to prevail. Whatever you're facing, God wants you to prevail. But your ability to prevail has everything to do with how you face that adversity. Humility, with patience, and with hope. Recognizing that the path of righteousness is littered with trials and opposition only to make us stronger. So David, in Psalms 23, the same David who faced Goliath is the same David who wrote Psalms 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes I'm going to find myself in the valley of the shadow of the death, but I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He then says, uh, you, you will anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And then at the very end of Psalms 23, David says something that I want all of us to take heart to. Take heart to. He, says, he says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. How is it that you can say goodness and mercy are following you when you're facing adversity, when you're facing shadows, when you're facing enemies? It's because the shadows and the enemies, they didn't destroy me. They only came to make me stronger, to teach me something about me and to teach me something about God. And I have overcome. So some of you all are facing adversity this week. Maybe you just had a week of adversity. Or maybe you don't know it yet, but you're about to go into a week of adversity. And what I want you to do is to take this word with you to know that if you are facing adversity in your home, in your family, in your job, in your physical health, that there's a good, good, good chance that you are actually on the path of righteousness. And that if you are on this path of righteousness, Face that adversity with humility, face it with patience, and face it with hope. And just like David, you will prevail. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the struggle. We thank you for the trials. We thank you for the pain. It is a part of your perfect plan. You don't wish it on us, you allow it. It doesn't feel good. Lord, you know it doesn't feel good. But it has a divine purpose to strengthen us, to grow us, to move us into a deeper relationship with you. Father, there's someone right now who is experiencing adversity and they don't know what to do. Lord, I pray that you would just take them in this moment and that they would embrace your perfect plan 
for what, the, what this adversity is trying to do. That they would be humble, that they would be patient, they would have hope, that they would allow their life to be, this moment to be characterized by prayer. God, that they would stick to the plan. And no matter how heavy the weight is and no matter how hard the road may seem, that they would stick to the plan. They, they wouldn't resort to their flesh. They wouldn't resort to, to fighting with, with, with their hands or with their words, but that they would stick to the plan. And that they will be able to not just overcome and not just prevail, but they will be able to look back and see how it was your hand that led them every step of the way. So Father, we just, in this moment, want to release the anxiety. We want to release the frustration. We release the, the difficulty, the pain, the, the feeling as though we have to figure it out. We release that and we embrace your peace, your grace. We embrace serenity right now, knowing that you are God who says, I will fight your battles for you. And even though we might be in the active seat like David and we got the sling in our hand, it is you who is behind us, leading us and guiding us every step of the way. As every head is bowed and eye is closed, I want to just open the doors of this church as you all today have witnessed four individuals give their heart to the Lord. There may be someone here who also says, you know what? I need to fully surrender and accept Christ as my savior. I've been operating on my own plan for long enough and I want a new plan. <laughs> and I don't want God to be Lord in my life. If that's you, you want to accept Christ and through baptism or rebaptism or surrender, I want you just to raise your hand. You were impressed and inspired by the decisions that you saw today. You want to accept Christ. see ya. I see ya. There's one, someone else, you just want to raise your hand. I want to accept Christ. Be fully committed. I want a new plan for my life, a better plan. Spirit of the living God, I just thank you. I thank you for your young, your child who wants to follow you. God, I thank you for those who are even now, you're still working with them and moving them into a point of surrender. God, would your, would your purposes prevail? I just ask that your purposes prevail. No matter what we're going through, no matter what the devil is throwing at us, would your purposes prevail in our life? If there's someone here who hasn't fully surrendered, God, would you just continue to show them your love and woo them with your loving kindness and bring them to a point of full surrender before you? God, have your way in their life this is our prayer we thank you in jesus name let everyone who believes say amen and amen come on now let's just put our hands together praise the lord